Welcome to Gateway Church Wirral Online. We're so delighted that you're with us this morning. So great that you can be a part of our live streamed gathering. Just to welcome you to this space and what we're all about. Um, to say that we as a church, we're all about seeing people meet with God, encounter him for all his goodness and his grace and for lives to be changed by him. As a church, we want to see a world transformed, made better and better through every life transformed by the grace of God. So our hope and our prayer for you today, meet with Jesus in the things that we're saying, in the things that we're singing, in the way that we're opening up the word of God, which is alive for us today. We want you to know Jesus, know that he loves you, know that he has a plan for your life. And as we're going through our gathering this morning, do please connect with us here in this live stream space. You can fill in our connection card. The tab, I think, is at the top of your screen. Request prayer if you'd like to. There are great, friendly people who would love to pray with you. And do just connect with us in any and every way that you'd love to. As a church, we gather. That's what we're about today. When we come to the close of our gathering, I'll tell you how you can connect with us going forward into the week. So have a really great time. Be blessed. Enjoy yourself and enjoy Jesus we pray. Lord Jesus Christ the reason we're gathered here the reason we're gathered as a church is to celebrate who you are and what you're doing to be inspired by your spirit into what it is that you want to do next in our lives and through our lives for the good of those around us for the glory of your name Jesus we have glad hearts to be worshiping you to praise you and so Lord God we're wanting to lift our praises to you in whatever way that we can today, Lord God, we're lifting our hearts. We're lifting our lives. We're lifting lives of worship to you today. God be glorified, we pray. Hallelujah. 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 Praise you, God. Amen. Amen. How good is it to be able to worship together? Amen. Okay. Welcome. Welcome back into the building. If you've come back into the building, welcome online. Can they hear me now online? I have no idea. Welcome. Maybe. I don't know. Okay. Oh, I'm just going to set myself up here. I asked the tech team if these speakers were important, and apparently they are, so I'm just going to make them a bit more protected. Can I just, I mean, this might be a strange thing to say, but I've noticed since we're on the building, it smells delightful in here. Is that strange? Does that make me sound strange? But you've all come with your perfume and your cologne, and you smell delightful. So thank you. Okay, right. Uh, this morning, anyway, back to it. This morning, we're going to be talking about prayer. And so I've got a little bit of an, of an illustration here. And this, this bottle here is you, and, and it's your life. And the, the water inside is you here. And so things happen in our lives, don't they? And things go wrong and we face trials. Okay, there we go. And we face problems, things get in our way. I'm gonna, gonna add some coloration here. Now that I know that you can do this with pens, I haven't stopped, I do it all the time. There we go, things go wrong in our lives all the time and we face problems and generally and now look the water's starting to get cloudier it's it's getting more difficult to see through and this is what happens in our lives and we're, and we're no longer in this sort of permanent state of joy that apparently every Christian is always in we know that we're not are we we're not always permanently happy things go wrong and look at that we're no longer that lovely clear water anymore 
And we know as Christians that what we're supposed to do is, is to pray to God. But I don't think that's always our first resort. I think we can be honest with ourselves. It isn't always our first resort, is it? We go to other people for help rather than our creator who we should be going to first. But, but we try and we, and we try and fix ourselves, get, get rid of the things that are going wrong in our lives and the things that are slowing us down and the hurt and the brokenness that we're feeling. We try and fix it in different ways. And, but I can't get it out. There's no way that, that we can fix our lives on our own, our brokenness and our hurt and our trouble that we're going through. There's no way we can either put ourselves back together or get rid of all the problems that we're facing in our lives. And so that's why it's so important to pray, to bring our troubles to God and say, God, can you just help me? Just to cry out. That's what sometimes that's all our prayers can be. That's all we can manage is just to cry out to God in desperation of just God, help me, please. Like I've just shown you, if, if we keep the lids on ourselves, I mean, God's a powerful God, but if we're not going to open ourselves up to him, he, he can't do much. And so the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to open up the lid. And that, that represents us opening ourselves up to God, which is what we need to do when we're praying. If we're just using our words, it doesn't mean anything. We have to open ourselves up to God to let him in. Say, okay, God, I want you in. I want you to make a change in my life. I want you to fix this. And, and I want you to get rid of this. We're just opening ourselves up to God. That's why we tend to use our physical posture like we did then in worship. We, we raise our hands or maybe we'll kneel. Our physical posture represents our spiritual posture and the posture of our heart, doesn't it, before God? So, so there we go. We've opened ourselves up to God. And when we do that, that is when he can really start to move. Um, what we want God to do sometimes is to just kind of come along and, and put a little bit of a plaster on our brokenness and sprinkle a little bit of glitter and make us look lovely because we, we don't want to go through any kind of work, any kind of difficult, painful process. We just want God to come over and make everything better. I've got some, some confetti. We want him to sprinkle it over. This is heart confetti. We want his love to just sprinkle over us so that we can look wonderful again and it'll look like we're all better. And it'll be a nice, pain-free process, and, and we'll all be better because he sprinkled his lovely glitter on us. But has anything really changed? No. Because we, if we, all, we want, if we, all we had was God to just sprinkle a bit of glitter over us, then nothing deeply within us, that deep hurt, that pain, whatever it is that we're going through, it isn't taken away. Just some glitter sprinkle on us. That's not, that's not what God does. Sometimes we want that because it's quick and painless and we just think, oh, just make it look better. Just make me feel better. I'll be fine. That's not what God does. God does something completely different. He fills us with his Holy Spirit. Now I've got a bucket of water and the water to represent the Holy Spirit. speaker and when we ask God to help we open ourselves up to God we pray to him God please just help me we open ourselves up to him and he can fill us with the Holy Spirit and look what happens takes a while
one. I, I, I could keep going with that paper. But now look, and it's gone. And what's happened here, thank you. Oh, thank, you. thank you. What's happened here is that God didn't just come and sprinkle something on top to make us feel better. He didn't just give us a little pep talk and say, you can do it. It's fine. Just, just carry on. You'll be fine. The Holy Spirit comes in. And when the Holy Spirit moves into our lives, it displaces the things that need to go. It gets rid of the hurt and the pain or the things that we're doing that we shouldn't be doing. When we ask God into our lives to fill us with the Holy Spirit, everything, look, the, the original water spilled out. It came out. It, it was displaced by the new water coming in. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It comes in and it says there's no room for the both of us in here. There's no room for the remaining, the hurt and the brokenness and the pain and the suffering and the Holy Spirit just shoved on top. The Holy Spirit comes in and it gets rid. It displaces everything that you don't need and that God speaks over you that you do not need in your life, that he doesn't want in your life. It displaces it. It comes spilling out and spilling over, and you don't have it anymore. And, you know, that took a little bit of time, doesn't it? Because we want a quick process, but God isn't going to give it to us that way. A real restoration from God, that the Holy Spirit coming in, displacing the things that we don't need in our lives, it takes time and it's messy I've made quite a mess I, I I put the tea towels down so that the mess wouldn't wouldn't have too much of an effect but when God works in our lives sometimes it's messy it's not neat and perfect and painless it takes time and it's messy because he's getting rid of the stuff that is deep entrenched deep within us but that isn't good for us that we don't need and when the Holy Spirit comes in and starts removing it it's messy it takes time but look at the product beautiful, clean, blameless before God. Amen. So pray, 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 pray continuously. That's what it tells us in the Bible. Don't just use your words. Pray, open yourself up before God and let him in and he will do incredible things. Thank you so much. Amen. Thank you. And uh, for those uh, of you here and online and you've got uh, children or young people, um, do please get in touch with us, uh, whether it's via the chat or the connection card online or um, get in touch with us here in the building as well. Um, we've got all sorts of different things going on for children and young people in the life of the church, um, even in this uh, season. And we'd love for you to get connected with it. Um, I came in this morning and I saw the huge bucket of water on the floor and now I know. Uh, but I came in this morning and I thought, oh, are we having baptisms? And I thought it was quite exciting. Um, just a little bucket, just maybe just your head. Um, but I have actually had um, a number of inquiries regarding baptism. And if you're unaware, uh, baptism is a, an outward sign of the inward reality. Um, I'm not, is it ringing for everybody or is it just in my head? Um, <laughs> a few of you are going like that, which I don't know. What does that mean? Is it ringing for everyone or is it just in my, I don't know. Um, it may well be. Um, but uh, baptism is an outward display. Um, it's, a, it's a, a sacrament of the church of what God has done within our lives. A little bit like what Grace was showing there as we pray and welcome the Holy Spirit into our life. And baptism shows that we have been made new in Jesus as we go through uh, these waters. And so if you're interested in that, uh, we're trying to figure out how we can do baptisms COVIDly um, secure. Um, and we're going to try and make that happen. Um, and that's really good. Um, another thing to let you know about is that um, Easter is coming rather wonderful isn't it 
And um, I can definitely hear quite a lot of ringing, and I don't think it's just my uh, brain going crazy. Um, but Easter is coming, which is really, really exciting. Um, we're going to be crafting some uh, great ways of celebrating the death and the resurrection of Jesus um, over the Easter. Interesting, isn't it? Um, how are we doing? Better? Wonderful. Oh, good. There we are. Oh, now I'm very deep and masculine. Um, anyhow, um, we're, we're going to be crafting a wonderful, wonderful Easter weekend. We're hoping on Easter Sunday morning that we'll be able to do something after the Sunday gathering that is going to enable us um, to, obviously we're not allowed to mingle or interact, but we're going to perhaps do something kind of outdoors after the service um, so that you can kind of collect something, have a bit of fun, and, um, and make use of some space that has recently been vacated quite near to the church building. Shh, don't tell them. Um, but the, we're, we're hoping that we'll be able to do a little bit something special on Easter. But after Easter, we're beginning... Um, with the Alpha course. And we're going to be delivering this incredible 11-week course that helps you to explore everything to do with life and meaning and faith and following Jesus. Um, we're going to be delivering it online, um, facilitated by all of the wonderful groups of our church, the Transform Communities. And so um, if you're a part of the church, get inviting people. We've already made it available on Facebook. As you leave today, you'll see that there are postcards that you can take away and invite your friends and family and neighbors and colleagues. We're going to be giving out kind of shareable uh, images that you can use via WhatsApp and whatever as well. Invite people to come along and join you um, in online alpha course. It's going to be really, really, really wonderful. And so I, I think that, that those are the things that I, I want to um, share um, this morning. Um, time is really marching out with the marching on with the technical difficulties that we'd have. We were going to spend a bit of time right now actually in prayer. Um, but what I want to encourage you to do is to join with us as a church evening by evening in seeking God. So tonight, um, live on Facebook and YouTube, we're going to be sharing communion at 8 p.m., and um, if you head to the church Facebook page or our YouTube channel, you'll be able to see and take part and share in communion. We're going to pray together every single evening, Monday through Saturday, on Facebook and YouTube at 8 p.m. Uh, there's a, a short devotional video um, drawn from our daily Moravian Bible readings. And every evening we spend time together as a church um, reading the Word um, trying to understand what it is that God is saying to us and praying through these things. We have an incredible rhythm of prayer as a church. And I want to encourage you, if you've not yet uh, dug into this, then do so. Um, do so. And let's be praying together as we are looking towards Easter, as we're looking towards sharing Jesus um, through the Alpha Course. It's one thing, isn't it, to talk about prayer and the power of prayer, or to have it visually represented to us, how we can pray and, and be filled with the Holy Spirit and see our lives transformed. It's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to do it. And that's why over, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago we started, and today and next week as well, we're talking um, under the heading of pray and go. You see, all too often as Christians, or, or maybe folks looking in from the outside, we see prayer as the kind of opposite of doing. 
we think that kind of, well, you just crack on with life, don't you? You kind of just do. You kind of problem solve. You make the most of situations. You live your life. And then if, if you absolutely can't live your life, then you resort to prayer. It can, it's a bit of a caricature, I know, but it can get that way a little bit. And even within our Christian lives, it can get that way. Whereas the Bible and God, he represents prayer to us as the lifeblood. It's the very breath of living and doing. That to pray is to be in conversation with the living God. To pray is to enable and empower and improve every single facet of our lives. Now, prayer is not a switch that we flick to kind of get ourselves out of jail free. And yet in prayer, we connect profoundly with the God who has made us and wants the best for us. Last time we talked about this, uh, we talked about it under the, the heading of the missional prayer of God. And we, we saw and heard something of the heartbeat of God for you and for me. His heart cry for his creation. And we, we spent our time so that we might fall in love with God some more. The God who speaks, the God who breathes our salvation, who prays the hope of our restoration into his care. The God who is word made flesh. And flesh that was uh, brutally wounded upon the cross so that we might be healed, so that we might be made whole. You see, God has a mission. A mission isn't just for people. God has a mission. He speaks it. He prays it. He lives it. He died for it. He rose again that we may join in the conversation. And we, we, we landed on this profound thought that the function of prayer is not primarily to influence God, but rather to change the nature of the one who prays. The, the question we landed on was, are we willing to be changed? Are we going to be changed? And so we're going to continue today in thinking about not just the missional prayer of God, but the missional prayer of the church, of us. Billy Graham once said, to get nations back on their feet, we must first get down on our knees. Now, that's not just kind of a fun play on words. It's a very profound reality. And here we are in, in times and in a nation, nations around the world that have been ravaged by this pandemic. And there have been many other kind of gaping wounds in society that have been exposed over recent months and years as well. And I'm sure within all of us, there is a longing for restoration and for hope. And yet at the same time, it's easy to be daunted by the scale of the task. To get back on our feet, we must first get down on our knees. And so a couple of weeks ago, we conclude our time considering Jesus. Jesus on his knees in prayer. And there he was. He was faced with the horror of the cross. It was just hours away from him in that moment. And he prayed. He talked openly and lovingly and honestly and painfully with his father. And he prayed for you, for you and for me. And we'll consider some of the things that Jesus prayed for us shortly. But I want us to begin with this main thought. John 17 and verse 18 tells us that Jesus prayed, as you sent me into the world. He's talking with his father. As you, God the Father, sent me, God the Son, Jesus Christ, into the world so I have sent them into the world. And he's looking 
uh, his, his disciples, his followers in that moment. But he's praying also, we know, for all those disciples, all those followers who would come, people like you and me. You see, God has always wanted to have himself at the center of his creation. And God has always wanted to send his people to fill his creation. God has always wanted people to reveal his nature and do his will in the world. The Bible teaches us that we, you and me, we are all made with the imprint of God upon us. You know, we think about perhaps Bible language of us bearing the image of God. How in Genesis, the Bible says, God created us and he said, let us make mankind in our image. But there's a very real sense in that language. It's a bit like, um, a bit, a bit like working clay, making, doing a bit of pottery or something like that, if you've ever done that. The, the marks that you make, your hand, it actually leaves an indelible imprint if then it's fired in the kiln. It's more that sense than, than perhaps it's just a kind of a, a, you know, a painting that's kind of out there. No, it's, it's a sense of the very imprint of God being placed upon that which he has made, you and me. And God has designed us to bear his image and bear his image into all of creation. You know, um, I'm feeling really blessed. My kids are, are in the building again. Uh, you know, I talk about them almost every week, but they haven't heard me talk about them in person for a while. They've been marauding around the living room and then occasionally hearing dad say their names. Uh, they're, they're here at the moment. And, and, you know, as I was reflecting upon how it is that God the Father has his imprint upon us, and then that reveals itself in the world, I reflected upon the fact that just a few short days ago, I walked into the, the back room of our house and found my kids very, very quiet. Does anybody know that when kids go very quiet anywhere, bad things are happening? Does anybody know that? It's very true, isn't it? And I found um, my boy, he, he was the onlooker in this occasion, um, and he was watching my little girl with all of her crayons, all of the colors. You can see where this is going, can't you? And the paper was no longer sufficient. Um, the, the, the furniture and the toys and the walls, these were now her canvas. Her expressive nature was not going to be restrained on a piece of A4. But she was making her imprint on her world. You know, I, I can talk about it like this now. I didn't think so at the time. Um, but, you know, it, it actually it, it's a very natural desire to want to kind of make a mark, to, to represent something of who you are and to do so as colorfully and as crazily as you possibly can. But it's something of how God has made his mark upon us and then he invites us to make our mark upon the world. You see, God is glorious. What does that mean? It means he has a weight and a worth that is beyond our ability to fully comprehend. And it follows then that if God is glorious, then there is a means and a wonder by which his glory can be made known in the world by those who bear his image, who, who bear his imprint, you and me. You know, we're not so glorious in ourselves. But when we reveal and reflect God, his glory shines forth. Habakkuk 2 and verse 14 in the Old Testament of the Bible says this, The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. 
You know, this isn't an abstract thing, some random sense of glory somehow out there somewhere. This is people like you and me finally realizing that we're made in God's image and that we get to show that glory in the world. This is people filling the surface of this planet, made glad in God, and then showing that gladness and that glory around us. And so Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. You We're to be sent in the manner that Jesus was sent to this world so that God's glory is revealed, so that others might come to know his glory, be transformed by his glory, shine his glory. And we're going to consider in a moment or two, two aspects of how we show the glory of God, two ways in which we pray to to live the missional prayer of God. As a church, um, at the beginning of 2020, before all of this craziness unfolded, I shared a few priorities for us as a church, and one of them was this, that we would be a church of passionate corporate prayer. You might say, well, is that just words? Well, actually, what we're going to see is in the way that Jesus prayed in John 17, he actually intended us to have the unity of, of, of being a body. That's what the word corporate means. It means being a body. And God intended us to pray passionately with real fervor and desire for the things of God. If you're in the building here, perhaps you'd like to stand. We're going to be led in another song of worship I just want you to reflect, whether you're here or at home, on what it is to be made in the image of God. You know, we joke often when you looked in the mirror this morning, you probably didn't think, hey, there goes somebody who reflects God's glory. But maybe you should have done. And maybe as we reflect upon the glory of God, we can start to begin to understand the calling that he has upon our lives. Praise you, God. Praise you, God. God is great and greatly to be praised. And you're welcome to grab a seat. If that is a reality, if God is great and greatly to be praised, it follows then from what the Bible teaches us that he's actually made us with great intent. And we are to praise God. This is a a profound reality that we get to praise God in a new way. I'm actually going to run through the next two sections all together now before we come maybe to worship God as we close. But what I want us to understand is that that prayer is our means of revealing God's glory. And that prayer informs the way that we go about revealing God's glory. I said there's two things that I really want us to focus in on today. And the first way that I want us to see we show the glory of God is this. It's unity, unity, oneness, togetherness. You know, it's not merely the faint sense that we share something together. It's not merely uh, the, the, the fact that we attend the same building or, or head to the same web address uh, once a week on a Sunday for an hour or so. No, what God has in mind for his church is the dream of complete oneness in Christ. We would return to Jesus' prayer for us in John 17. In verse 21, as it's written for us there, Jesus prays that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have 
sent me. See, God's plan for his church is that we would be one even as he is one. Does anybody for a moment believe that there is any separation or discord or disunity in God? We just couldn't believe that, could we? But God's will is that exact same level of oneness, of mutuality, of love, of relationship ought to be represented both between his people and himself and in and amongst his people. And God has missional intent for that. Just as we kind of consider God or look upon God and we see one who is ever loving, Father, Son, and Spirit ever glorifying one another, giving and receiving eternally, indivisible, equal, united. So God wants when people look upon his church to see that exact same representation. God wants Gateway Church to look like himself in this regard. Ever loving, ever giving, mutually honoring, revealing the very nature of God in this way. Look, you might say, well, goodness me, I don't, I don't think I can be that kind or good or decent to anybody for any length of time. Hmm. Well, E.M. Bounds, a writer who knew a thing or two about prayer, he put it like this, prayer makes a godly man. Prayer makes a godly person. This isn't something that we, we generate from ourselves. This isn't something that if you happen to be halfway decent, then maybe you stand the chance. No. Prayer is the mission. Prayer is the hope. And he says, prayer makes a godly man and puts within him the mind of Christ, the mind of humility, of self-surrender, of service, of pity, and of prayer. If we really pray, we will become more like God, or else we will quit praying. Oof. <laughs> That's a very powerful way of putting it, isn't it? Look, prayer is the means by which we realize we can become like the character of God. Or if we would rebel against that, prayer is the means by which we realize, well, we need to probably stop praying. Do we mean it? Do we want to be like God? Do we want to be like Jesus? To have the mind of Christ, of humility, of, of all of these wonderful things, it's transformative. It's open to each of us only if we will spend time in prayer, spend passion in prayer. You know, we will think of others more and ourselves less. We'll freely offer our times, our talents, our treasure to one another in service as a church. We will genuinely and deeply care for one another if we pray, like Jesus prayed. You know, Jesus told us that the world will know that we're his disciples, we're his followers, if we love one another. It's love. It's not hanging out from time to time. It's love. Love is community. It's family. It's investment of time and of care. The Bible, it teaches us that we ought to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's not to share a little bit of time or fun with a handful of people you like anyway. Oh, come on. Any preschooler could manage that. No, it is to genuinely live your life as brothers and sisters in Christ. I read this week of, um, in, in one of those National Trust properties, um, there's a, a poster original from the Second World War in the property. And it's one of those morale posters, you know, dig for victory. And there's somebody there with a spade and potatoes flying around or something like that. You know, careless talk costs lives, all these, you know, these kinds of wartime posters. And, and there's one in this Second World War property, and, it's, and it, it has simple bullet point lists um, for citizens as to how they could keep 
togetherness in the face of trouble, how they could keep working together. The first point is this, forget yourself. Is that good advice? It continues, it says, forget yourself in helping your neighbors. In days of tension, this casts out your own fears and worries. That sounds like really good advice. I think we probably in days of tension and worry, does that sound familiar to anybody? Uh, maybe we can learn something from people who lived through a world war. It casts out your own fears and worries when you forget yourself in helping your neighbor. You see, the value of genuine community, of selflessness, of humility, there have been times over this past year when I think pretty much everyone could say, oh yeah, I get it. I see why that's important now. In times of a pandemic, in times of war, people understand that they really need to genuinely prefer and care and love one another. But Jesus' question for us is this, though. How about when the war ends? How about when the pandemic settles down? Will we want to get back to normal? What a terrible thing. What a horrendous thing that would be. I'm not at all sure that, that normal as it was, is nearly anywhere near what God has for us. Jesus was praying in a garden, and he was going to be arrested wrongfully, tried wrongfully. He was going to be crucified, killed wrongfully. There was a war happening all around. But his disciples at the time, they didn't fully realize it. I'm not sure much has changed. There they were. Jesus said, watch with me for an hour. Pray with me. And do you know what they did? They slept. They slept because they were tired and they wanted the comfort of sleep because they didn't really understand what was happening. And it's a bit of a, a metaphor all too often for the way of the church, of people, of, we, we say we follow Jesus, you and me, and, and yet we, we sleep too often while the battle is raging all around us. Can you imagine when they woke from their sleep and there's Jesus and he, he, he says to them, couldn't you watch with me one hour? And then the soldiers come to take Jesus away. And then they run. And there they see that Jesus is being tried. And there he is upon a cross. But, but very few of them go anywhere near. Can you imagine? Can you taste the, the bitterness of their shame, of their regret in these moments? Thanks be to the grace of Jesus. All such shame is washed away when he rises from the grave. When he comes to his disciples, he commissions them in his work to, to show his glory in the world. And they do it. And so there's no more regret. There's no more shame. Just the glory of praying and going. Of bearing Christ's glory into the world. Do you want to be full of regret that you slept when Jesus invited you to watch and to pray? To hear and to go? Do you want to hang on to regret, even though we know look, Easter is coming, Jesus is alive? Do we want to hang on to the regret of saying, oh, I, I could have, but I didn't. I could have been, but I, I wasn't. Jesus beckons us to go with him. He beckons us to be one and to reveal him in all his glory. And then our second point, and maybe continuing that sense of, of, of wartime behavior, of understanding what it is to, to change when there's a war on. In 1919, in the aftermath of the First World War, there was a poet, Yeats, and he wrote a poem called The Second Coming. 
He'd seen the horror of war, and he was fearing that there was no hope for humanity. And he wrote pretty famous words. They go like this. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. And he'd seen that played out on a grand and horrific scale. And he feared that's how it would always be. And his complaint isn't actually against intensity. Passionate intensity is not a bad thing. But his complaint was that when it's misused uh, in the cause of what's worst in the world, worst in humanity. And his complaint was that those who are better, who know better, just seem so lackadaisical about it. You know, I, as is common with most parents, I guess, I find myself sounding more and more like my own parents as I get older. Does anybody find that with themselves? You're all going to pretend like, no, we've, we've gone our own way, Greg. Um, you just do, don't you? When you're young, you're like, oh, I'm never going to be like that. I'm never going to say that. But then you do. You just do. And, um, and, and you realize in actual fact that... Um, that there is wisdom in previous generations. And, and actually, as well, you're frankly too tired to try and reinvent the wheel anyway. Um, so you just find yourself doing this anyway. Um, but it's only a matter of time, I think, um, before I repeat the immortal line to one of my kids, if your friends were jumping off a bridge, would you do it as well? You know these lines? Or if, if your friend put their hand in a fire, would you do that as well? It's like, what friends do you think I have? Um, but, you know, these kinds of immortal lines. You know, we, we want our kids to have the courage of their convictions. We want our kids to, to learn from previous generations and actually go faster or further than, than we have. But do we have courage of our convictions? Do we live with the courage of our convictions? Do we pray with the courage of our convictions? Or do we sleep? In Jesus' prayer in John 17, you'll have to read it for yourself. Time doesn't allow this morning. You'll find that Jesus is praying with his Father as though they're together carefully holding the whole world. In reality, they are. And it's as though they're passing the world, passing the disciples, God's own people, one to another. And, And it's an image of a broken world, broken people being given from the hands of the Father into the hands of the Son. And Jesus gratefully and lovingly accepts a broken world into his hands. By means of his own brokenness, he heals the world. He he renews his disciples and and then he gives them back as as a gift made glad back to his father. And Jesus is able to receive that which is broken and hurting and stained and, and in so many senses really horrific. But he receives it gladly. There's no resentment in him because he's confident in the love of his Father. He's confident that it can be made new. And I wonder about us as followers of Jesus. Are we so confident in the love of God that we're willing to reach out our hands and receive the brokenness of the world around us? Or do we recoil and want to just go and hide somewhere comfy and go to sleep? See, Jesus is so confident in the love of his Father. He's so confident in the mission that he and the Father and the Spirit have have fashioned and Jesus has gone. And he's so confident that he's willing to embrace all of the brokenness of our world. Make everything new. To treasure his disciples and give them back as a glorious gift to his Father. This is how you and I, we reveal the glory of God in the world. You know, if you and I, if we're secure in God's love, 
if we're of one mind with Jesus in his mission in the world, we won't resent holding the brokenness in our hands. We won't shirk giving whatever it takes for the healing of those around us. We don't need to lack conviction. God's kingdom can break in. It can break out through us if we're one in his love, one with a God who is passionately committed to our salvation and restoration. Now remember how it was that Jesus found you. Remember how it was that Jesus found you. He found you because he was passionately committed to reaching you and finding you. No matter the obstacles, no matter the difficulties, no matter the darkness, Jesus came and found you. He's passionate about you. And he invites us to be passionate about representing his glory in the world. Describing these prayers of Jesus, the writer of Hebrews 5 and verse 7 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence with loud cries and tears. We're so neat and tidy. We're so ordered and quiet. Not so Jesus. He cried loudly. He wept over the brokenness of the world, over your brokenness, my brokenness. How about us? Romans 8, 26 adds this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. These groanings, this is not like the kind of noise you make when you've eaten too much or you've got a stomach ache. No, this is a heart cry. This is the, 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 the wondrously deep and passionate sound of a God who loves deeply and is passionate about healing his world. God shouts over his creation. And God would have us join with him. Psalm 88 recounts one such follower of God saying, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline my ear to your cry. And can I add this from the preacher Spurgeon, who many of you will have heard of. He who prays without fervency doesn't really pray at all. That's pretty blunt, isn't it? I tell you, it landed pretty heavy with me when I read these words. You see, everything about the missional prayer of God in this world is about his oneness, his love, one for another, Father, Son, and Spirit. And how from that place of love and in that confidence, he comes passionately into our world to save the last, the least, and the lost. And I'm wondering how much it is that we, the church, that we followers of Jesus look like that. I know that we have glimpses of that glory. I know we've got a bit of that going on. But the Bible says the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And so I want to be filling my patch of the world with this glory. And Jesus prays it for me. And so he says, pray and go. He says, be one, devotedly one, passionately go in love and confidence into the mission of Christ. Perhaps the team would come and they're going to lead us again in worship as we close. But look, it's one thing to listen to me. It's another thing to do. You know, we've each and every one of us got opportunity to do this. There's no obstacles to any one of us. 
giving ourselves in unity one to another. There's no obstacle to us. Fervently, passionately praying for the lost. Fervently, passionately investing ourselves in God's mission. Easter's coming. There's an alpha course to follow. There are so many opportunities. There are door hangers that we were sharing around neighborhoods last week. If you didn't do that, take some as you go there by the door. Look, God is calling us to do what he did because we're not called to do something else. He put his imprint upon us so that we would make that same mark upon the world. You're not called to make another mark. You're called to put the imprint that God has put upon you into the world. This world that's like a lump of clay. And God says, well, you just think your little hand is just a little hand, but because my big hand is upon you. My imprint is in you. You put your hand upon this world and just see what might happen. Just see what might happen. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Would you stand with me? We're closing now with our final song of praise and of worship and and we're going to our day, whether we're going from this building or going from our homes into the rest of the week. You're made to show the glory of God. That's it. That's everything. Because that's God's desire for you. He did everything necessary for that to be a possibility, for that, in fact, to be your reality. Are those our marching orders? Is that our commission? Is that our purpose in the world? Come on, let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you invite us to see the love that you have, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. couldn't expect to get an insight, a window into your glory. And yet, Lord God, not only do you invite us to see it, you've actually placed that upon us, your image. You invite us to reveal your glory in the world. Jesus, this morning, I pray for myself. I pray for my brothers and sisters. Let this be our prayer. God, reveal your glory in and through us in this world. Lord Jesus Christ, we don't stand here in prayer thinking that somehow that's a passive thing, that we just kind of get on with business as usual and somehow you'll just fire some glory and bounce it off us as we're going about our lives. No, we recognize that you call us to be like you. You call us to be one even as you are one. You send us as you were sent. You invite us into these lives of passionate corporate prayer, even as we hear you in passionate prayer as one God for us. Jesus, I pray that our lives would not be business as usual, not back to normal, but that Lord Jesus Christ, this time, this time, this time would be the moment of our renewed devotion, of our change. Call us, move us, shape us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Once again, it's been such a delight to be able to share together as a church this morning. 
and uh, we know uh, that taking what God has been doing in our lives, we can go and have wonderful weeks with him. Just to um, invite you um, to journey together with one another as we go through the week. We as a church, we don't just gather, but we get going into what God has for us together. And we have these things called transform communities. We would love to help you to connect with other like-minded people who are exploring God's goodness and grace and seeing how they can be a part of his transforming work in the world. So again, hit us up, get in touch. We'd love to help you to connect anything that you need, any prayer requests, do let us know. And we'll love to see you again this time next week. God bless you and bye for now.